Last week, I began a lesson on the heart, and I just read some scriptures. Proverbs says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And we discussed what that means. It means to watch it, to guard it. He didn't say keep your mind. He said keep your emotions, because your emotions trigger what you feel, and then your emotions trigger what you think, and they feed each other in a circle. And he said, I want you to watch it with diligence, like a, like a guard in a prison, observant, not trusting, because the issues of life are found in the heart, the source of life, the outgoing, and then it says the escape from death is a heart issue. And then we read the scripture in Jeremiah, that talked about the condition of the heart. And the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, and who could know it? So that's your heart, my heart, the hearts of mankind. And the Bible says that the Lord fashions every heart alike. So it doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman or you belong to a different culture. <coughs> we all have the same propensity to evil. He said, we are crooked, deceitful, and polluted. Desperately wicked means that we're incurable, woeful, and sick. That's what the Bible says. And then Jesus said, the things which proceed out of the mouth, when you lose it, that's when we know, when we lose our temper and things just start coming, that's what's been sitting there. That's what makes us feel so bad because it's what's in the heart that comes out under pressure, emotional stress. And it's terrible. And if you've ever lost your temper and said things you wish you wouldn't have, then you know what I'm talking about. So if the Bible is going to show all of this, then what is the cure? The Lord did not bring us here to depress us, but to convince us that his word is true. Nobody in this congregation or any other place in the world is going to get to stand in front of God and say, I'm not like that. Nobody, not preachers, not pastors, not moms, not dads, not the Pope, not the Queen. No one gets to say, but I'm better than you because nobody. The Bible said our righteousness is as filthy rags. And Jesus said, this is what's in our hearts. Evil thoughts. A lot of times we think thoughts about people that have nothing to do with them. It's coming from us. And we interpret them through our own evil. That's what the Bible says. Murders. When you're mad enough to kill and you still don't, that's murder in our hearts. I'm not going to ask you if you've ever been that angry, but I can tell you I have been. So what do you do when you get into this situation where your heart is so deep and filled with adultery, fornication, you say not me. For us to even get well, we have to agree with what the Word says, and this is what the Bible says. I want to throw this in right here. This is why we build boundaries, not because we think we're holy, but because we know we're not. This is why we put boundaries around the behavior of our children. This is why we put boundaries around ourselves as singles, not because we think we're better, but because we know we're not. And if you put yourself in a position that tempts, you're very likely to fall and fail. Then you begin the vicious cycle of lying, 
What did you do? I didn't do that. I'm not guilty of that. Then we start with a whole little game of justification. You cannot get forgiven. I cannot get forgiven if I can't admit what I did. The Bible said, confess your sins. Confess it. It didn't mean go to me or to pastor. The hardest thing I ever do in my life is to get down on my knees and all I can do is hang my head. Lord, you know exactly what I did. The Bible said confess and so I say, Jesus, this is what I did. It's horrible to say it. It's even worse to hear it. Not from somebody else's mouth, but from my own. But it's the only way, the only way I can get in his good graces. That blood Lacey sang about does not flow unless I go. And the only way I get to it is through humility. The Bible says there's theft. We steal time. I talked about that false witness lying on people. You know, you can lie on somebody just by being silent and raising an eyebrow. You don't even have to open your mouth. He said that's in us. And Jesus said, this is what comes out of us. That's what defiles us. But then we discuss the power of the word. The word of God is quick and powerful. And we talked about what that means. It's living water. You say, I don't want to be cut with that. But it's so cleansing to hear what the Bible says about what we've done. And you have to see it in order to say it. Nobody will willingly confess what they don't believe they've done. And very few people who are not disciples of Jesus will ever own what they've done. The beauty of owning is the cleansing that follows, and there's no feeling like that. Knowing that you're confessed, that you've told the truth, and the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Aren't you thankful for the blood? It's not a one-time bath. Let's just lift our hands. Lord, we thank you for the precious blood of Calvary. You have convinced us through your words that it's available to us. You know that we are sinful and that we have hearts of sinners, but you have promised to wash us and cleanse us. Then, of course, the Holy Ghost is to seal us. Once you get clean, the Holy Ghost wants to keep us clean. Unfortunately, we can always revert. For all have sinned and come short of the glory. So what is the glory? The glory is when you bow your head and take it without sinning with your mouth until the Lord comes down and delivers you from the pressure, from the stress, from the whatever. You say, well, I'm only human. That's exactly right. But now it gets personal. When David sinned with Bathsheba, he said, God, I sinned against you. I use that example because it seems to me that David sinned against Bathsheba, her grandpa. He sinned against Uriah, whom he had killed. He sinned against his other wives and all his children when he failed. But when David admitted what he did, he said, God, I failed you before I failed anybody else. I wasn't honest with you. I should have never been on that rooftop. I should have been in the temple praying. I put myself in a position to fall. Then when I did, instead of admitting it, I covered it. And now my little baby son is dead. And you've told me that all Israel is going to see when my son fails, 
he's not going to do it behind closed doors. He's going to do it openly. David was chastened. God did not save that little boy. He let David feel it, and David had to feel it. So he would never do it again. I don't like feeling it. I don't know how you are when you fail the Lord, but it grieves me and makes me sick. But I have to do it because I'm a disciple. And the Bible said he chastens those he loves. In Hebrews, he said he chastens, he corrects. Do you know what that means? He even scourges. You say, that would be abusive. I'm telling you, he knows my heart. And I got to have it. I got to have that day of silence or that sorrow. I got to have it because if I don't, I'm going to do it again. Are you with me? It's not fun. But the word of God, you don't have to worry about pastor or me doing that to you. We're in the same boat you are. All we do is get up and speak the word of the Lord and the word's going to do it. It's going to cut to the heart of the matter. It cuts in and coming out. It goes through defensives. It defenses. It goes through defensiveness. It goes through excuses and justifications. It pierces. It's not me cutting you. I'm getting the same cut. I'm crying with you and for you and asking God to be merciful. There's no criticism or judgment here. Did you hear me? Not here. Now you're going to get it out there. Because everybody out there is wanting to justify what they're doing. So they don't want you to acknowledge what you're doing. When you come in here, we're like, just tell it and get it over with. There's hope and there's help and there's healing. But you got to be honest. This word gets down to me. The bottom line is there's going to be no excuse for me because the Lord could have healed me for anything I was sick with. He could have helped me with any burden I couldn't carry. He could have given me hope for every desperate situation. And I can't blame my refusal to accept or believe any of that on anybody or any circumstance. Let the church say amen. I am without excuse. I am without excuse. So, now that we feel eviscerated and cut to the heart, which I am, I can't even say these words without feeling my own repentance and my desire for the Lord to heal. This is what it means to be in discipleship, correction, instruction, training, humbling, admitting, not to people. My Lord, you're, you're my dearest, most precious, your colleagues, your companions on the journey. You're never going to carry my cross. I'm going to have to carry my own. But you could surely help me by encouraging me. That's why we encourage each other and don't try to hurt each other. Because you're going to fall. But the Bible said unto him who is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless. So the hardest thing we'll ever do is to admit we've done it and that we need it. And guess how many times we need to do it? As many times as it takes you to take a bath. I think your body is a very clear example of how often we need soap and water. Our hearts need it just that much. And when we come in here, it's not to be condemned and criticized. It's to be loved and lifted and washed. I feel the Holy Ghost. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the privilege of this place where you wash us with your words. Because otherwise we'd walk out of here lying and faking ourselves out. Piling on sin after sin until it just built up a crust. 
and then refusing to acknowledge the attitude that smells like death. But you, with your precious word, penetrate our defenses. Show us where we need washing. And we're like newborn babes again. Everybody say thank you for your word. We come to church to worship and to hear the words. That's it. That's why we come. To encourage each other. And the power of the word is so great that Psalms 19 said the law of the Lord is what? Perfect. It means it's complete. It's every essential ingredient to my soul. Jesus said this word that you hear three times a week is so important that you could live without food longer than you can live without this. Let me ask you, what happens to you from Sunday to Wednesday? What I thought. I come to church on Wednesday because I need to get back in the environment again. Oh, dear God, I forgot we have a place. He said, this is perfect food. And guess what it does to the soul? Read it. Converting. Now, that means my heart, that nasty, dirty heart that Jeremiah talked about, and he had a heart too, and that Jesus talked about and all his disciples did. He said, if you'll get my word, my word will change you. You don't have to fake anybody out. It'd be better for you just be yourself. <laughs> Say, well, I don't really want people to see my hateful self. But when we're hateful, we can pray for each other. When we're hiding, then nobody knows until you explode. And then they find out and wish they wouldn't have. We're here to help each other, though. Not condemn, criticize, or, did you see? Hey, now, the instant you say that, guess where you're headed? Okay. He said the law, meaning direction, instruction. That's just not the written word, but it's the people who are walking in the word. And when they give you a little friendly tap, where were you? I missed you. It is not the Spanish Inquisition, but we love each other and we make each other accountable because we're supposed to know one another pretty well. This is a family. We're supposed to have FaceTime. We're supposed to be together so we can watch out for each other because we cannot be the patient and the physician. And the reason we do it is love, not because we want to hurt, but because we love. The Bible said it's complete, whole, entire, and sound. It brings back the soul. It restores the soul. It refreshes. Read that last word that the word of God will do to that nasty heart of mine. Say it. Oh, my word. God's doing heart surgery on me when I sit in a service. Defenses down, not judging, not criticizing people so I can excuse myself and just drop my guard and go hit me. Work me over. The soul, the self, the life, the heart that I told you we read about in Psalms. And the Bible said the testimony of the Lord is sure. That means if God says it, that he is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless, then the onus, the effort, the result is his. I just have to follow. So what gets in the way of me following? My ego, my will, my resistance, my certainty, my pride. I know better than that. I know better than you. Starts about at the age of two when we learn our first power word. And what is it? Exactly. No. And there wasn't a person in here who had to think about that. 
Every parent and grandparent knows the instant they're able to form a word after they get a hold of mama, daddy, gan, gan, whatever it is, is the power word no. And then the battle is on from then on. That word emerges in all of its iterations when they begin to enter adolescence. And then, oh my word, be prepared for battle. You have to use your words to liberate, though, not to cut. Words to set free, to escape from. Everybody's going to laugh at me. Everybody's going to make fun of me. Everybody's going to, I've got to do it. What about the other kids? Then we use our words that are anchored in this. Why should our children have to go through hell to learn about heaven? If they are obedient and they'll just listen, God can guide them through loving people who are disciples. Let the church say amen. One of the most powerful things that I saw when I looked at this testimony was the terms foster father and foster mother. I could not believe that testimony would be if I line up with the Bible instead of arguing every week when I hear words I don't like, if I will say, it's me, that's me, I'm going to get it. Not if so-and-so would have been here, I am the so-and-so. It's me. I'm going to digest it. I'm going to chew it. It will become like a foster father. It'll say, mm -mm, go apologize right now. You think that's the voice of your mother talking to you? That is not your mother. That's the word talking. The more you digest, the more direction it gives. Rod for correction, staff for instruction. Pulling us back from the brink of despair and hopelessness. Say, Sister Showstrand, you don't know what I'm living in right now. No, nope, I'm thankful that I don't. But the Word of God does. And the Word of God has said, I can take anybody and present them faultless. Let's lift our hands. Thank you, Jesus. The Word can do it. I, not me. Hallelujah. Now, let me explain to you what I mean about the Word. Listening to the Word without letting it hit you is like sitting at a table and moving your food around the plate. At some point, we have to eat it. At some point, we have to digest it. At some point, and Jesus said, the benefit you get out of what you heard is the amount of thought you give to it when you leave. So if we walk out of here on Sunday morning and Sunday night and we never think about what pastor just preached... Guess what happened to that word that he set out there? It's sitting on topsoil. There are four reasons why that happens. Three, we're too busy, so we're hard. We're already planning what we're going to do. So it's not going to change our character. If young people get the word of God in their hearts, they won't do immoral, illegal, unethical things, and neither will their parents. We can't create enough laws to make you pure because you're not. You're starting out filthy already. But once you let the word get in your heart, you suddenly realize it's not just a sin against my parents. God promised that he was going to save my soul. If I cross this line, I'm going to distance myself. So instead of putting myself in a situation that's going to lead me to mess up what I've already got, I'm going to draw a line. I need to be in by 10 o'clock. I'm going to go out on a group date. Nope, can't be alone with you. Why? 
You're 17, exactly. I'm not ready for marriage, and I don't need to get myself in a situation where I am dependent on you for anything. Let the church say amen. So this foster father draws the lines, not my dad pinging me, not my mother looking at Life 360. I got a word in my heart that's pulling me that says, young man, young woman, I'll use you, but you have to keep yourself from but the whole culture, are you kidding me? Look where the culture's going. You want to take that trip with them? There's only one way to go to heaven, and it's Jesus on the inside working on the outside. He said, I want to foster father you. My word will actually correct you. You'll correct yourself. It'll look like self-correction, but it'll be me in you telling you get it right. Then it said foster mother. That means when you take the cut and you feel depressed and sad, the sweet presence of the Holy Ghost will come because he said, blessed are them that mourn, they shall be. So the same word that cuts also encourages. So this 19, 7 through 11 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right. So we've got the law, the statutes. That means the ordinances. That means the practices that go on in this church that we have agreed as a body are appropriate for us. Every pastor has a different set, but when you come into a church and you say, this is my family, that means you honor the lines and the limits that have been set before you without being beaten into submission it's just our culture. It's what we do. It's not that it's heaven or hell. It's just I'm part of the family and I honor the leadership by following the example. That means I'm not fighting within myself. Who gave you the authority? Blah, 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 blah. I'm just accepting that I want to be in this and I've got to do it somewhere. Say, I'm going to go to a place where I don't have to think about it. Then you're also going to go to a place where you don't want to be challenged by the Bible. Because at some point, we've all got to be challenged by something to reveal our hearts. They can't be healed if they're always hidden. I got to say it again. Nobody is going to get a heart healing if they're hiding. Adam and Eve failed, and the Lord said, where are you? He said, where are you? Not because he did not know where they were. He needed to give them a chance to say what they had done so that instead of them covering with something inadequate, which was not going to last through the day, he could say, I'm going to have to give you something else to cover you. The shedding of blood. You say, I don't need that. Well, then you've never felt guilt. Then you've never felt what it's like to be driven by guilt and shame. I'm sorry. I, I, I guess you covered it up. That you've never made a mistake so egregious, so hurtful, that it just eats you alive day and night while you hear in your head that you're rotten and you're horrible. And maybe you don't deal with that. Maybe you've never felt sin like that. There are two extremes of hiding the heart. I'm so evil. Or there's nothing wrong with me. And both of them come from the same source. I am hiding my heart. Because in both of those, I am determining. I'm the center. I'm the source. I'm the savior. I'm the judge, the jury. 
I will decide what I need when I want it, how I want it. And when I come to church, I have learned that the best discipleship is to say, God, you know me. I'm going to have to hear something from heaven. I want you to save me. Save me, Jesus. You know I'm dealing with... I got so much in my head and my heart. Help me. Say amen. So the law of the Lord, the statutes... What's in the book and what we set up in agreement that is appropriate behavior. He said, they're right, they're straight, they're upright, they're correct. So that means that when we come to God, we're kind of bent over. And he said, I can't have a conversation with you. You're so crooked. I need to heal you. I want you to stand up straight. Yeah, but you don't know what I've done. Or I don't want to be with you. I don't want to. He said, I want to heal you. I want you to stand up. I want to talk to you face to face. But God, you're perfect and I'm not. I can fix that. Just stand up. Rejoicing the heart. He said, it's going to be depressing when I come in the presence of God. It's going to be awful. And Adam and Eve ran. And, and people that have heart problems uh, will avoid the doctor. I don't want to step on the scales. I don't want you to see what I'm eating. I don't take my blood. I don't want you to know because I know what I've been doing. And the Lord said, if you'll come to me and you'll stand up, I'm going to cheer you up. You're going to drag that condition around. And if you let it go, what you're going to hear is there's no hope for you. There's no help for you. Your family's in trouble. You're in trouble. Things will never change. And he said, if you'll just get a hold of my word, I'll cheer you up. I'll make you so glad. I'll make you merry. Then you know what? This blew my mind. What is the last word under rejoicing? Say it loud, please. Dear God in heaven, he said, I'm going to change how you remember things. You know what they've discovered about memory? It's fluid. It changes as you age. What you perceive your life. So you know what? I'm going to be very honest with you. I cannot trust my own memory. Because my emotions color it. What I feel right now colors what I'm thinking about what happened then. And I'm the one that colors it in black or brown or blue. And Jesus said, I'm telling you, your perception, your eye. But when the Lord begins to get in there, suddenly people who said, I had a terrible childhood and nobody was nice to me. And the reason I can't... And he starts getting on the inside and cleaning up. The Bible said, when the Lord is your shepherd surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life so what I'm saying reveals I need the Lord to get on the inside I need the word to get in the way I perceive my life because I'm living a fiction I'm making up a novel that's terrifying that I'm the one that determines what I see in the past depending on the condition of my heart. I'm going to say that again. It is terrifying to believe I am the one that's going to remember based on the condition of my heart. A sick heart, a sick report. 
A dark heart, a dark report. A depressed heart, a depressed report. Do you understand me? He said, I want you to keep your heart. Keep your eyes on me, Peter. Don't look at the wind and the waves. Don't look at your physical body. Don't look at the physical circumstances. And right now I can hear people saying, but the facts are... Those are the facts. But Jesus said, I'm not a fact. He said, I am the truth. Hallelujah. And when you get my word in your heart, I can change how you remember your life. Glory. I want you to lift your hands right now. Lord, your word is whipping through here like a wind. It's healing us if we'll agree with you. He said, I want you to agree with me. Now, I'm going to sit here and argue with what that woman's saying because I don't like her skirt. I don't like her. Then you are given pure evidence of what the word says. Has nothing to do with the messenger. It's powerful. It's liberating. He said, I'll cheer you up. And he said, that commandment, just to lay at rest all the children that say, but it's not in the book. He said, that commandment is human or divine. When it comes from somebody who's lined up with the word and they set a line for you, then you better accept it as if it were the word of God. I'm going to honor it as if it were. Because that's what the Bible said it means. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. That means it's clean, it's pure, it's sincere, it's beloved. That means that when the Lord starts laying down law, he does it because of love, not because he's trying to hurt. That's the difference in people and God. People can use their words to get back at their kids. You made me mad, so therefore you're going to get a, and you're not going to get a, and you can't have your iPad for three months, and we're talking about a four-year-old kid who can't even conceive of three minutes. The law of the Lord doesn't do that. The Lord does not set boundary lines out of a moment's tantrum or because he got mad. Every line he did was to keep us safe until that trumpet sounds and our bodies are changed into his glorious image. Hallelujah. Let's raise our hands again and give thanks for the word. God, we worship you. Thank you for your word. Now, let me tell you what it does when you go, it's me, it is me. Look at the last thing, it enlightens the eyes. Now, remember I told you, Jesus said, if your eye is dark, how great is that darkness? If all you see is depression and hopelessness and helplessness. Now, I'm being honest. I'm not going around here and saying, the Holy Ghost says, Janice, what do you see? Well, things are bad. Okay. I know what's wrong with you. You're having a heart attack. Things are hopeless. I'm helpless. I'm about fed up with... And when I... And I'm telling you right now... I'm having a heart attack. It's getting wound up in there. And it's coming out my mouth. And it's not edifying. He said, once you get your, that word in, it's so clean. When he says, hush. It's not because he wants you to shut up. It's because he knows if you talk anymore, it's going to make it worse. Be still. He said, be still. And what? 
and know I'm God. He said, stop that wiggling around. Get still. Sit down. And know. Going to take a little bit. I forgot. You're God. You're God. Oh, you're God. God of the hay said, I want you to know that. I want you to see the stars and the moon and the seasons and the millennia. He said, you don't think I know where you are? Listen to my word. Get still. No. He said, it will make your eyes luminous. When I was studying for this, as I was reading, tears would come to my eyes and I'd be like, oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, this, I, I feel clean just studying this. It feels so good to hear something so wonderful. So wonderful about hearts when you hear about kids who are acting on their hearts and destroying life. To hear that the answer is here. Here. By the time they get there, they have bought that what's in them is all there is. I can't do anything about that. I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to us. I'm talking to us. Then the ninth verse says, now here's what, what a lot of people get off on this and they don't like it. They don't want to hear it because they don't, they want to walk in here and just, this is my office away from home and I can stretch out on this floor and that's just church and are you telling me I'm not going to And I think sometimes that our familiarity with the church house implies that we don't have any reverence for the God that occupies it. And people get confused about fear of God and respect. And these are the dimensions. The fear of the Lord means reverent respect. It means that no one has to tell you how to act in this house. You have such a respect for the unseen presence now, I don't tell you about my lines in the presence of God because it's so personal. I would never want someone to hear what I say and go, Sister Shostrand said I have to because I know how people are. I am one. The instant I say something, then the implication is you better do what I do. And I can't, I can't do that. You either respect God or you don't. But the respect of God is not like the fear of the police. You're going to get me. You're going to hurt me. You're going to tell on me. Oh, dear Lord, when I think of Calvary, I mean, I just, I, Brother Howard, I immediately want to go, Your Majesty. When I think about all the Bible heroes that are dead and who's he talking to now, I, oh, I can't think about it long. Because I have such a respect. The more disrespectful I get of God, the further away I am from him. Can't be close to him and not revere him. But you can be far, far away and say a whole lot. He said, my fear is not like being terrified your daddy's going to beat your rear end or your mama's going to get you or the principal's going to find out. He said, this is clean. It's clean. It doesn't have intimidation and gaming going on. The gaming thing drives me nuts. I, I'm not good at it, although I am devious and deceitful in my own heart. But walking with Jesus is pretty clear. 
but when there are games going on and people are playing political games and appearing that they're respectful to someone and then they're not, I, I'm out of there. I am out of there so fast because I can't get into that mess. I can't. This is clean. It's morally and ethically clean. And you know how long it lasts? Forever. And you know what the fear of the Lord does for you? It will give you the strength to take a stand. Even if they say, I'm going to cut you in a thousand pieces, renounce your God. Once you get closer to the Lord, you're like, that cut is going to last for a little while. But when my soul leaves my body, I'm going to go stand in front of the one that I have been looking for all this time. I'm more afraid of him than I am you. The fear of God makes you stand because you have such a reverence. You know better than to let an ordinary human drag you away. The fear of the Lord is clean. The judgments, now this is what blows my mind. I've heard people say, I feel judged when I come to church. I feel judged and I'm like, dear God in heaven, we shake your hand, we hug your neck, we offer you everything if you just come and get in the presence of the Lord and get healed. There's no penalty for sin in this house, but there is going to be one. Is litigation. Now, I'm going to tell you, I've seen cases where I felt very sure that the judge was biased, that the sentence was way too strict or way too lenient. It did not fit the crime. And they're just people. And what's even more terrifying is many of them are elected. So does that not pad the vote? Because they are going to be reading the polls to find out what the temperature is for the decision. This makes my skin crawl because I don't have a whole lot of confidence any more than I do when I know that physicians have bills to pay and hospitals know what insurance will take. It's a game underneath. I just have to ask God to help me because I don't trust people. Why don't I trust people? Because I am one. But the judgments of the Lord. When David failed God and God said, David, I'm going to have to get a hold of you. You have messed up bad. And I'm getting ready to come down on Israel. And I want to know you got three choices. I'll either give you plague for three days. I'll turn you into the hands of your enemies for six months. Or the sword is going to come to your house and you're going to have to go to war. What do you want? And you know what he said? Oh, God. He chose the fourth option. Just let me fall into your hands. You pick. Lord, I can't pick. He basically said, you judge me. Paul said, I don't judge myself. The great Paul. Paul said, I'm wily and deceptive. He said, I don't judge myself. I don't compare myself to other people. He said, I keep my body under subjection. I, I punish it. I deny it. I, I, he said, I work it over lest I would be doing the church thing three times a week and working in the drama in the kitchen and the downstairs and the upstairs and I'm wiggling out of all that scrutiny from heaven believing that all the works I do in the busyness is going to make me have a clean heart. He said, I don't judge myself. I just stand in front of the Lord. And I have learned 
when it comes time, my family loves me and they're going to give me a grace note and a mercy pass, but they cannot save me. They love me and I love them, but they're not a good judge. <laughs> so when I come before the Lord, I'm like, Lord, your judgments are true. The sentence is right. You can't be bought. And you're just as pure as snow. Lord, you judge me right now. I want you to get down on the inside of me and search me. Because when the trumpet sounds, I want to go. I want to be ready. I want to go. Go to the next verse, if you would. The fear of the Lord is clean. Enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. That means that you don't have to worry about God fudging. Either in favor or against. He's going to do what's right. Because he is right. This last verse says more to be desired. The law, the statutes, the commandments, and the fear of God. What we're doing right now is more important than the songs. It's more important than the offering because this is the only thing that he has promised will save us. He said, by the hearing of the word, the word, the word is also known as breath. And the Bible said, and God breathed into Adam the breath. When you walk into this place and you feel dead by your own failures or your sins or what you've done or what you haven't, let's just make a list. Dear God, it's forever. And then the word begins to breathe. Confess your sin. He is faithful and just if I can just get to him. In all thy ways, acknowledge him. God, we're getting ready to go through. My family's a mess. And he'll direct my path. I feel I have so many needs. Lord, my God shall supply all your need. And he begins to breathe. And I start breathing in. And you know how I walk out of here? Everything's going to be all right. I have hope. Hallelujah. There's healing. There's hope. You don't know my family. You don't know my God. You don't know how sick I am. You don't know my healer. You don't know what we need. You don't know my provider. Hallelujah. The word, the living breath of God. Every time you breathe it, inhale it, let it hit. I want the praise team to come up. He said, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. I love honey. I love it. It's so sweet. And pastor's been preaching on meal offerings. And the Lord said, when you come and bring me an offering, don't bring me any honey. Don't try to sweeten what you are. I already know. Just bring the bitter and the meal. Don't try to cover it. Because when I get in you and start washing and cleaning you, you will become sweet. You don't have to bring the sweet. You become the sweet. 
and out of your mouth when I begin to deal with the issues of your heart and suddenly it's not about you anymore and you're not the center and and again I want to tell you if you're on the spectrum let me tell you what the spectrum is I'm so bad or there's nothing wrong with me I'm just fine I'm telling you that's the spectrum that's a heart in hiding God never intended to trample us with his word or to let us escape from the result of it, which is salvation. He said, in keeping these words, thy servant is warned. That means enlightened, cautioned, admonished. I got that word in there that's shining going, mm-mm-mm-mm. In keeping them, guarding, keeping watch. It's going to save my life. And there's a great reward, a great consequence. I want you to bow your heads. Lord, we have heard your word. It's quick. It's powerful. It's sharp. And we know that. This word was sent to heal, to save, to lift.